This morning, we are going to be uh, transitioning in terms of our, our sermon series. Uh, today, we have our last uh, few verses in the chapter 4 of Luke. If you've been with us, we've been looking at uh, kind of the beginning part of the ministry of Jesus and, and the time of preparation before his ministry. And this morning, we are in Luke 4, uh, verses 42 to 44, just the last three verses of chapter 4. And then from there, uh, starting next week, we're going to go into the Psalms for the summer. And so this is kind of a, a capstone to what I think has been a, a really uh, helpful series in terms of understanding the beginning, the beginning stages of the ministry of Christ. Now, the title for our sermon this morning is, Don't Get Too Comfortable. And I have to tell you, I don't really love this expression, don't get too comfortable, uh, mostly because it's usually used at a time when you really want to get comfortable. And yet someone is telling you that you should not get too comfortable. For example, uh, it may be 9.30 at night in the Glezos household. I'm just settling into bed, very comfy. I'm about to watch a documentary on lemurs in Madagascar. <laughs> and Don will say to me, hey, don't get too comfortable. You have to go shut off the sprinkler in 20 minutes. Ugh, 20 minutes, that's exactly when I will be at my most comfortable. It's when I will be drifting off to sleep, dreaming of lemurs, and I'll have to get up out of bed. I, I, I want to get comfortable in that moment. Or maybe you're at the lake, and you're just settling into your beach chair. You've got a new book, and now all is well with the world, and you're about to read for the first time in months, and someone says, don't get too comfortable. Your child wants to ride on your back and swim across the lake. You think, that's the worst idea anyone has ever had. All I want to do is read my book and ignore my children. Why is that so difficult? That expression is used when we are not to get fully comfortable, which seems not right because when we're just getting comfortable, we want to keep going. And yet we know there are, there are reasons. There are some good reasons why at times we should not get too comfortable. And this morning we're going to see a reason why the people of Capernaum should not get too comfortable. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, we have been in the town of Capernaum. We've been seeing the ministry of Jesus there. Uh, on the Saturday morning, the Sabbath morning, Jesus preached in the synagogue to rave reviews. Then he cast out a demon from a man who was there. Then in the afternoon, he was invited over to Simon's house for lunch, and he healed his mother-in-law from a debilitating fever. And then in the evening, he healed anyone else in the town who was feeling sick. And even cast out a few more demons. It was, it was a big day. The people of Capernaum were amazed. And they must have gone to sleep feeling more comforted than they'd ever felt before. And yet by the next morning, it's as if Jesus is saying, don't get too comfortable. Because there is something else that I must do. I, I must go. I cannot stay here with you. I have to go out into other towns. And so with that in mind... Let's look at these three verses and see, and see this scene, this final scene in Capernaum, beginning in verse 42. And when it was day, he, that is Jesus, departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So let's pause for a moment of prayer and then get into this. Uh, God, thank you so much for your word. 
Thank you, God, for, uh, for Luke and for your inspiration in, in writing this and detailing this account of Jesus in Capernaum. Uh, God, I pray right now that you would help us to have keen minds, to have open ears and open hearts to what you were saying to your people this morning. And God, I pray that you would help us to understand better uh, the comfort that we find in the gospel and yet also the, the desire that you have and that we should also have to go out into the world with this comfort. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So that's really what we see here, is that the day after Jesus comes to their town, with the comfort of the kingdom of God, uh, Jesus wants to leave. And the people are, are kind of de- devastated or disappointed at the very least. that they, they want him to stay. They want him to stay probably forever. But through the words of Jesus, we see that the larger plan of God is in fact to reach all of the people of the world with the comfort of the gospel, and that means that, that he must go that there's ascending nature to this message. So we're going to look at this nature of of comfort and the good news of Jesus. Uh, We're going to have three points. The comfort, uh, sorry, first, comfort in prayer. Then secondly, the comfort of the good news. And thirdly, the uncomfortable mission. So we're going to begin with with our first point, comfort in prayer. Uh, This point is going to be short and sweet, uh, short because it's not really the, the main point of this passage, but sweet because in this uh, beginning part of our passage, we find uh, really what is a life-giving rhythm for Jesus and for us. If you look at the v- beginning part of verse 42, it says, when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And when we look at the parallel verse in Mark, we find out what Jesus was doing there. Uh, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out into a desolate place, and there he prayed. And you notice this as you read through the Gospels, that Jesus has a pattern of prayer. He doesn't just pray in urgent situations, though he does. He doesn't just pray at prescribed times, though he does. He has a what seems to be a necessary rhythm in his life to bring him comfort and strength and peace for the road of head. He he spends time with God the Father in prayer. It was a mark of his life in his ministry. So much so that when the soldiers come to arrest him, they find him in a desolate place, in the midst of prayer, where he is seeking strength from God the Father for what is coming next. And so the obvious point of application for us is one that we are going to come to again and again as we read through the Gospels, and that's simply, is this a pattern of life for us as well? Are we seeking out God in some sort of daily or or even hourly or certainly weekly rhythm of our life? Are we making time to be comforted and strengthened by God through prayer? I'm not sure that we need to be sweating drops of blood as Jesus did at certain times and always sort of in angst, but certainly we need to be in the pattern of getting on our knees, whether physically or, or at least in our mind's eye, and coming before the Lord. Is prayer a pattern for you? See, every creature in the world has a, a life-giving rhythm to sustain itself physically. Uh, those lemurs that I was watching, they have a life-giving rhythm. And they have a life-giving rhythm in one of the most hostile of environments. Uh, Lemurs live in Madagascar, and many of them live in the spiny forests of Madagascar. I actually saw this on the documentary. I was interrupted from watching. So this is what the spiny forests look like. They are trees that are just made up of all these thorns and and spines, and yet on the, the trees that are designed to impale soft flesh, that's where the leaves are. 
And so the lemurs, they, they persistently pursue this nourishment and they climb all over these, these trees. Even though they're jabbing into their hands, they, they pursue the sustenance because they know that it will, it will nourish them. They have a, a rhythm of going up into the trees and, and foraging, even though it's in an environment that is somewhat hostile. And I would say that, that I think depicts what it's like for us to be in prayer. There are so many things within our own hearts and certainly around us that are hostile towards finding some time of solitude and peace with God. And yet if we see it as, as sustaining us spiritually, we will persevere. We will do as the lemurs do. We will find a way and find time to, to be alone with God, to have a few minutes before we leave for the day or, or at the end of the day or throughout the day to just, to just quiet ourselves and to bring our hearts before the Lord and to be nourished spiritually. Now one way that... Uh, in, in the short term, I have to help you. If you're someone who appreciates structure and aren't really in the rhythm that you would like, uh, there is uh, something that's coming up starting July 1st that I think will be helpful, something that I'd love, I'd love us all to participate in. Uh, the Canadian Bible Society has put out a pamphlet called 31 Days of Prayer for Our Nation. Just 31 days of praying for Canada, beginning on July 1st, and uh, each day just has a verse and has an area of focus, something that we can pray for for our nation, and I just think this is a great way to start the summer. And so these pamphlets are available, we got them uh, free of charge, and they are out uh, at the desk, and I think it'd be a great thing just to grab one of these, put it in your Bible, put it on the fridge, and just make a, a habit, taking a few moments at the very least to get on our knees, to, to be in prayer for our nation and for ourselves and to experience the rhythm of being close to God uh, on a daily basis. So these are, these are for you as you leave, and, and I really hope that we will all participate in this and pray for our country. So that's the first point, the comfort of prayer. But in the second point, we move more into the, the main focus of this passage, uh, which is this. I'm going to elongate the point a bit. Uh, it's the comfort of the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, you might have noticed that I'm getting a lot of mileage out of this word comfort, uh, even though it's not, the word itself isn't actually in the text, uh, but I, I think the concept is there very, very clearly. Uh, look again in verse 42. Uh, it was day, and Jesus departed, went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving. So why is it that they, they woke up and they were looking for Jesus right away? Why is it that, that when they found him, they, you know, they wanted to get some rope and tie him up and keep him in Simon's house? They wanted to, to keep him from going anywhere. What is it about him that they were so captivated by? Well, I think very clearly they had been greatly helped by Jesus. They had been comforted by him. He, he had made them feel whole again. In all the ways that he ministered to them, that he healed them physically and brought help to them spiritually. If you know that feeling of, of when you've been feeling ill, like for me last uh, Saturday night, I just started feeling crummy. Kind of got that uh, weird feeling in the back of your throat, right? Start, started sniffling, started feeling pressure in my head all week long. And so I was taking lots of Tylenol, cold and flu, trying to sleep more. And, but Friday I woke up and I didn't realize it at first, but I, man, everything had cleared. My nose had cleared. And it just, it, just that moment of, man, it feels great. It feels great to be healthy which is just a, a tiny inkling of, of those of us who've recuperated from major surgery or have dealt with major illness. And there's that day when, when all of a sudden, you f man, you feel better. 
Or, or you're in the doctor's office and the prognosis is everything looks clean, everything looks great. And you walk out just feeling whole again, feeling immensely comforted. That must have been what the, the Capernaumites had been feeling like that, that morning. They had gone to bed with a sense of comfort they had not experienced before, they, physically, spiritually, relationally. Jesus had preached the word. He'd alleviated their, their afflictions physically. He had touched them personally. They had experienced what Jesus called the good news of the kingdom of God. They had experienced that in their town. Now, these, these terms are ones that, that are really good for us to know. We should unpack them a bit. Good news simply means uh, a, a proclamation of, of that good news. We sometimes translate it the gospel. And, and the good news is something that would have been uh, spoken of or sent out by a ruler or, or a king or, or someone who had something important for his people to know. We see the announcement of the good news of Jesus at his birth. In Luke, 10, uh, sorry, Luke 2, verses 10 and 11, the angel is the one who comes and says to the shepherds and to all of us, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. See, Jesus is the good news of God to the people of the world. And one of the, the key aspects to his goodness is that as the Savior, he is the, the entry point to the kingdom of God. That is part of the reason he is so good, because through him we gain access to this new kingdom. So what is the kingdom? What is this kingdom of God? Well, uh, a kingdom, obviously, is, a, is an area, a land, over which a, a ruler, a, a monarch, a king or a queen or an emperor, has dominion. So the United Kingdom is a group of countries, and, and there the queen reigns over those lands. Uh, the British monarch, in this case, Queen Elizabeth, that is, that is where she has dominion. So the kingdom of God is that area, that, that region where God himself has dominion, where he rules and reigns. But you might think to yourself, well, but doesn't, isn't God like God over the whole universe? Isn't kind of everywhere the kingdom of God? And, and yes, that's true. But the reality is that in our day, uh, the, the reign of God is not felt fully in the entire world. In fact, where we are, in a sinful world, there are, it's as if there's an occupying force. Like for imagine the United Kingdom, there is a region of the United Kingdom where, where rebellion had taken place. And now there were enemies that were occupying a certain part of the United Kingdom. And so the reign of Queen Elizabeth did not, was not fully expressed in that region because there, were, there was an enemy occupying it. In our world, there is an enemy occupation. There is sin and there is Satan. There is the sin within our own hearts and there are the forces of evil in our world. And they are limiting the reign of God in the world. Now the difference is that with a rebellion, the, the occupation is very overt. You can see soldiers in the streets, but for us, it's, it's more covert. Our enemy would prefer it if we have the idea that everything is running as it should. And that we are to assume that we are living our best life now. That, that the, the kingdom of God is in fact reigning and, and the world is as it should be and we are experiencing everything that we should and yet we know that that's not the truth. Those of us who know Jesus can, can see more clearly that in fact the world is not running as it should be. 
In fact, the comforts that we should experience are limited. It's like we're sleeping on an air mattress that has a hole. And, and it, it seems good in some ways, but in time, the, the comforting, cushy air, well, it seeps out. And before long, we find ourselves on, on rocks. Has that ever happened to you? Last summer, Don and I, we, we all went camping, and we had this air mattress we used for years in the middle of the night. After going to bed and you know, looking up at the stars, all comfy and cozy, I was, there's rocks in my back. We got up, sure enough, there's a hole we hadn't realized. So I'm up there, shh, 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 two, you know, it was 12, then two, then four in the morning. So we got about two hours of sleep before the air would seep out. And we were, uh, it was so uncomfortable. It was horrible. Thankfully, we were camping near Walmart. So we got a new air mattress. <laughs> we aren't really adventurous campers, but... You get my point that in this, in this life, that's kind of how it is. There's, sure, there are things that we enjoy, but, but when it really gets down to it, the comforts of life are few and far between, and those things that we think are comfortable, they don't really last. There are many situations in our life that end up disappointing us. For example, imagine that you have a new job, and you're kind of excited about it. It's three months in, and you're, you're waiting for your review, and you think things are going to go really well. You think you've been doing a good job. And then you get into that room and, and you realize that one of the managers just has it out for you. Something you've done, you've rubbed in the wrong way, and the review does not go as you thought it would. And, and the bump in pay that you're hoping for is not there. Kind of the, the confidence for the future is not there. And all of a sudden, your, your comfort level decreases sharply. And you think to yourself, well, that's, man, that's just life. That's just how it is. And it is. That is how life is in a kingdom with an enemy occupation. In a kingdom where there is corruption and disappointment in every aspect of life. That's what life was like in Capernaum. I mean, it was, it was a pretty good place. It was a fishing village. There was, there was work. There was food. There was a good community. But they had holes in their air mattresses too. There were fevers and infections. There were migraines and depression and, and chronic pain and even demonic attack. And they probably thought, well, this is, just, this is just normal. This is what it's like to live on earth. You can't expect too much. Until Jesus rolled into town. And Jesus alleviated their burdens in a way that they never thought possible. He brought them fullness of joy, a comfort, the depth of wit, the, the breadth of wit. They just never thought that you could have life like that. It was a glimpse into the kingdom of God. Jesus was showing them this is what it, it should be like when you are close to God, what, what the earth should be like. It's a little picture of that which is to come, and we get a, a fuller picture of that in the book of Revelation, where John, the apostle John, gets a vision of what heaven will be like. And it says this in Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The fullest expression 
of the kingdom of God is heaven itself. It's a real physical place, a place where we will, we will experience the perfect comfort of knowing God, of being in a place where he has unfettered dominion. But the truth is that wherever Jesus has influence, we do experience the kingdom of God there. I mean, in, in times of, of enemy occupation, in that, in that scenario where, where the United Kingdom has, has rebel forces, in that time, the, the true subjects of the kingdom, they would find strength in knowing that they are true citizens of, of the true king. They would find encouragement. They would find a way to continue on with the hope that at some point, Queen Elizabeth would send in her army and, and they would take over the rebel forces. They would be liberated. There would be strength in knowing who they are as citizens of the true kingdom. And the same is true of us who know Jesus. That we too find strength and comfort in our identity as citizens of the kingdom of God. That we have gained entry into the kingdom through the cross of Jesus. In fact, that's the only way into the kingdom of God. Because you see, the rebel forces have not only occupied our world, but they have occupied our own hearts. Sin is the chief means, the chief obstacle to keep us from the kingdom. The the thing that kicked us out of the kingdom in the first place is the sin within our own hearts. It's the source of all that is wrong with the world. It's it's the reason that things break down. It's, It's the thing that's keeping us from close intimacy with Jesus. It's the thing that that robs us of the comforts of life. Which is why the cross is the greatest expression of comfort to all of humanity. Because at the cross, our sins, the very thing that that is preventing us from getting access to to Jesus and and to the kingdom, our sins are paid for. The consequence of death that comes with sin is replaced with eternal life. The promise of renewed bodies is secured as Jesus was raised from the dead. The promise is for us too. We will be raised. We will have resurrected and glorified bodies and the spirit of God dwells within us because of the new life that Jesus gives us as we have faith in his work on the cross. And so this morning, one of the questions we need to be asking ourselves is, is do we really know this comfort? Do we really see the cross as comforting? Is is it a, a comforting and continual presence in our life? Have we really come to faith and said all the things of this world are are good, but they are limited? That I need to come on my knees and admit my sin and and have faith in Christ for the hope of this world and for the world to come. See, even though God's kingdom is not yet fully here, those of us who know Jesus, we are already experiencing the kingdom in part. Because there are, there are big questions, there, there are weights that are just part of life that, that we have an answer to. Things like guilt, things like fear, things like a, a pressure to be perfect, a longing for purpose, a desire for genuine relationship. All of these things we have in Christ. We have because of his work on the cross. And that's where our identity is is reformed and renewed. That's what we can look to continually, even in the difficulties of life. Even when the air is totally out of our mattress, we can find comfort in Jesus for who he is. And that's that's amazing. That's the greatest news for all of us, for any single individual in the world. But, But there is a danger. 
there's a danger that the people of Capernaum in experiencing this comfort, they fell into right away. And the danger that we can fall into as well. And that is the danger of getting too comfortable in the gospel comforts here and now. So you look again at this verse. It says the people, they sought Jesus. He was gone when they woke up. They, they wondered where he was. They found him praying and they would have kept him from leaving. Why is that? Well, because they were so enjoying the comfort of having him there, of the blessings that come from being with Jesus and experiencing the comforts of the kingdom. They were so overjoyed that they wanted to, to just keep that little slice of the kingdom for themselves. But see, that wouldn't have been best because the rest of the world is still under enemy rule. See, they had the comfort of the, of the king, but not that many other people did at that time. And so Jesus' word to them is, is to open up their eyes to see the plight of others. He says in verse 43, look, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent with this purpose. He's saying, I can't, I can't just stay here with you. I'm glad you've experienced this comfort, but I have to go. There are other people who need to hear the same message. And that's our third point, the uncomfortable mission. See, it's not that the people of Capernaum were exceedingly evil or selfish. They, they just didn't see the big picture like Jesus did. They were so captivated by the blessings that they had found that they naturally, they wanted to turn inward. They wanted to circle the wagons, to dig in, and to try to preserve and, and to protect the experience they've had with, with Jesus and, and the kingdom. They wanted more and more of that for themselves. But Jesus said, look, I, I gotta go. There's other people who haven't yet heard. Jesus was compelled by a heart of compassion and by a heart of obedience to the Father to, to go. He was sent to preach the good news. He was sent to liberate hearts and minds with the truth that, that there is an answer to sin, that if we admit it and we trust in him, that we will be liberated from the occupying force. But you'll notice that that meant abandoning his own comfort. For Jesus, he left heaven and he came down here to earth, an inherently uncomfortable place. And he lived as a human being. And then even in the little pockets of, of comfort that he experienced, he continued to abandon his comfort to go out and to tell more and more people what they, what they needed to hear. And that's the nature of our mission as well. That we also are ascent people. We see it from the very words of Jesus. He says in John 17, as he's praying to God the Father about us, he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We also are a sent people, the church. If you're here this morning and you, you know Jesus as Savior and Lord, you are part of a missional community, part of God's mission to the world. And see, the, the Capernaumites, if we start thinking like them, we've missed this. We've missed the, the, true, the true goal of God in, in the church. Yes, we are to be comforted, but we are to then take that comfort out into the world. See, the, the people of Capernaum, they wanted to circle the wagons, but if you think about that, that whole activity, it's, it's a defensive action. There's an enemy circling, and so you, you circle the wagons. You, you're low on munitions. You're low on supplies. You want to try to preserve what you have and protect what you have, but that's not us. That's not the church. The church is not a defensive organization. We are to go out into the world on offense 
to bring the message of God to the people around us. Just look at some of the words that Jesus has for, for his people. In Matthew 16, 18, he says, I tell you uh, to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Notice the gates of hell are in a defensive position. It's the church that are bringing the battle to the gates of hell. We are going in to liberate those who are consumed and oppressed by the forces of darkness. We are the ones who are on the move. In 1 John 4, 4, it says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We have the Spirit of God within us. Our resources, our power is greater than whatever is in the world. We are, in a real sense, a counter-rebellion unit. We have been sent in on an offensive mission to liberate the world from the occupying forces of Satan and sin. We don't hunker down. We don't circle the wagons. We don't get too comfortable because there is a mission, because there are people that need our help. And so we are to go out into the world with the truth of the gospel. Look, it's not that the, it's not that the people outside of the church are our enemy. No, they are the ones that we are, we are called to help, to connect with, to bring the truth, to bring the light of Jesus. But there are forces that are against us. And we need to be ready to be very uncomfortable. We need to be willing to abandon our own comfort so that we can connect with those who have no comfort at all. This is how Jesus lived. Even when he was abandoned and arrested, even when he was beaten and sentenced to death, he was always on offense. You notice that? He was always on mission. He was never in a position where he was, he was taking a step back. He was always moving forward with what God had called him to. Look at the moment that he was being arrested, where the sequence of the cross was beginning. And there, as, as you might remember, Peter, always Peter, great, takes out his sword. He wants to defend Jesus. He wants to try to, to, to counterattack. And Jesus says to him, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? He's saying, this is not a military campaign. I have not come to wage war against the people of the world. I have come to die for them. I have left all my comforts to come and comfort them with my very life. That's the essence of our mission as the church. We must be prepared to leave our comforts for the purpose of bringing spiritual comforts to those who are, who are going to be disappointed in life, who are at a point of recognizing their need for something greater than themselves. This is what Jesus, he leaves us with. As, as he goes back up to heaven, he says to his disciples and, and to all of those who would follow him, he says, go therefore and make disciples in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that's what the church has been doing for the past 2,000 years. Not perfectly, not without failure, not without some defeat, not without difficulties and trials and suffering, and not without opposition. I mean, we know there's opposition. We know that right now in our society, there is a lot of opposition against the things of God. 
We see it in what's happening in our news. You've no doubt heard about the Supreme Court decision against Trinity Western University. Basically saying that you cannot produce lawyers to serve our community and hold to a biblical view of sexuality. We see also the federal government restraining funds to summer job workers unless you affirm abortion. We see curriculums in our schools, like SOGI 123, that are undermining a biblical view of sexual identity. And, and all of this, we see, yes, there is opposition. We see that there are a great many people and, and current ideologies that are completely against what God said is best. And so what is our response as the church? Well, we are not to wage war. We are not to be sharp-tongued. We are not to go to battle with the people of the world. We are to find ways to love the people of the world. We are to find ways to speak truth in a compassionate and compelling way. We are definitely to find ways to engage with those ideas, but with the goal of helping people to see that what they truly need is Jesus. That what they truly need is a comfort that goes beyond whatever individualism, whatever ideology that they have grabbed hold of, that that will eventually disappoint, but that God never does. See, it would be really easy to think like the Capernaumites, wouldn't it? It'd be very easy to think, look, we got a good thing going on here. Let's just circle the wagons. Let's just do our thing and let's try to be as comfortable for as long as we can, but, but that's not who we are. We are called to go out into our communities with a message of love ready to be uncomfortable, ready to have perhaps difficult conversations, ready for people to think low of us because our heart is for them to reach them with that which will be most comforting, the message of a Savior that has died on their behalf. So we are to fully, as much as we possibly can, enjoy the comforts of God. But we are not to get so comfortable that we, that we will not go out and be willing to, to be uncomfortable to reach people. And so as a point of application, I want to make two, I mean, there's lots of ways in which this this truth, this missional truth can be applied, but in terms of us as individuals and us as the church. First, as individuals, I, I mean, I think there, for everyone here, there are going to be different areas of influence, different opportunities for us to speak about this comfort that we have. If you're here and you're a believer, my, my encouragement to you would be to begin the day in prayer, saying, Lord, whatever you have for me today, God, would you help me to see the people around me and love them the way that you love me? And God, would you help me to have a keen eye for those opportunities where I might, I might love people well? That may be an action, that may be a conversation, it may be a time where you share of the comfort that you have in Christ. But the key is that we pray for the strength to take those opportunities when they come. Because there are many times where I have felt that that. The Spirit of God, I think, within me saying, you should say something, you should do something, and I, and I chicken out because I don't want to be uncomfortable. But for us to have the heart of Christ is to say, I'll be willing, Lord. Would you give me the strength in that moment? Maybe to say nothing, but, but maybe to say something. Maybe to have that conversation. Maybe to, to say something when I see that someone is in need. So as individuals, we need to be ready for that. As the church... I mean, globally as the church, we need, to, we need to keep preaching the gospel. Every church, every Christian church needs to open the Bible. We need to, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God so that people will know Jesus. 
But as Tri-City Church, I've been thinking about what it is that God is calling us to. I mean, we have had a fantastic first year. What, what a great blessing since September to see all the ways that God has worked in our midst, to see people come to know Jesus, to see people growing in their faith. And I know from hearing just some of you that, that you also, if you're a regular part of our, of our family here, that you also have been blessed and, and have found joy and comfort as being part of this community. I hear people coming to me and saying, Matt, I just, I just love being a part of a church this size. And I say, me too. But let's not get too comfortable. I have people coming and saying, Matt, I just love that I can, I feel like I can connect with everyone on a Sunday morning. I can see everyone. And I say, me too. But let's not get too comfortable. I have others say, Matt, I just, I love the, the building that God has given us. What a blessing to be here in the midst of this community have a space where we can gather and have room for our kids. And I say, me too. But let's not get too comfortable. Why? Because there's so many more people to reach in the Tri-Cities and beyond. Because if we want to reach 3,000 people instead of just 300, we need to think bigger. We need to think grander and wider. I don't know what this means. Does it mean that we might need to do something to our building in the future? Maybe. We might need to renovate again. We might need to engage in a building project, maybe. Does it mean that we are, are going to want to start other churches and plant other churches? Absolutely. We want to we send people out as we have been sent. That's what the church should be. We should always be looking to multiply and to start new initiatives, maybe within the Tri-Cities, maybe beyond. Does it mean we need to engage more in international missions? Absolutely. And look, the thing is that for us, everything is new, we're at the beginning stages of this. And so uh, I don't think I'm speaking prophetically in any of this. I don't know what God has for us in the future. But there are some things that I know that God is doing right now. Right now, uh, we have new people coming through the door each week. Praise God. Praise God that, that you are inviting. Praise God that the community is coming in. Right now, we have more and more people that are growing in their faith. Praise God for that. Right now, we are beginning to make an impact on our wider community with the comfort of the cross. Man, it's such a joy to see that happening. Which means that we need to do whatever it takes to, to use what we've got to maximize our influence. So one thing I do know, one step that I, that I and the leadership feel that we need to make for the fall, is where I'm looking, is that we are going to go to three gatherings in the fall. We're going to move from two gatherings to three because we need to open up more seats. At our peak time, it's difficult for, for new people or latecomers to come in and find a spot, apart from right up here where no one wants to really sit so close to me. So <clears throat> we need to open up more seats. And so we're going to go to 8.30, we're going to go to 10 and 11.30. And what this means for us as a church is that things are, in many ways, in some ways, going to get a little less comfortable. It means that it might be a little harder to connect with everyone on a Sunday morning. It certainly means that we are going to need to serve a little more. And here are the two practical things I want to leave us with as we, as we wrap up our time and as we go into the summer. Two things in terms of how can we make this happen. How can we, we relaunch or kick off in the fall with strength? We need to serve and we need to pray. There are a lot of people who are serving here already. We had our serve team appreciation last night. And if you were there, it was just, man, such a fun time. Such a joy to be with those who are serving week in, week out, and, and making things happen. But if we were going to go to three gatherings, we're going to need some more help. We're going to need some people to serve more, and some people that, that are part of Tri-City but haven't yet signed up to sign up. 
So here are some things, uh, some practical holes that are going to be created by starting a third gathering. Uh, Our welcome team, we are going to need, we think, six more people to have another shift and to go two on, two off, which is usually how we serve. In the kids team, uh, we think we need another five people. We're actually going to stick with kids in just the 8.30 and 10 o'clock gatherings and not start right away at the uh, 11.30, but uh, we think with the growth, we're going to need more assistants and more teachers, so more people and kids. Cafe, we're going to need three people, and band, we're going to need some drummers. Not really because we're starting a third gathering, we just need drummers, so uh, if you can drum. (laughs) Just want to put that out there. And parking, we're going to need a few more people. And something I forgot to put up there, which is, uh, you know, one of the most important teams is our baking team. We're going to need more baking. So uh, if you're not yet baking or, man, we need more of that because we want to, here's the thing, we want to do our very best. I mean, look, ministry doesn't just happen on a Sunday morning. We are going to need more community group leaders, more Bible study leaders, all sorts. But Sunday morning is the time where culturally people are, we're opening our doors and welcoming in the community. And we're saying, come here. We want to do our very best to be hospitable and welcoming and loving and so that takes, that takes service. And so if you are not yet serving and, and yet you're part of our group, I'd encourage you, think about that. In fact, don't even think about it. Just go to the desk today and just fill out a card and say, you know, whatever you need in the fall, I want to be there. I want to help make it happen. And the last thing, of course, is we need to pray. We need to continually pray that God would stir in the hearts of the people of the Tri-Cities and beyond. And that as we invite, as we connect, that people would would feel that sense of, man, maybe there, maybe there is something I'm missing. Maybe there's something I need. And so we are going to have a, a week and a day of fasting and prayer on September 30th, right before our fall kickoff. But I really would uh, encourage you to pray. As you're praying for our nation, pray for our community. Pray for our church. We have a comfort that goes beyond any comfort of this world. And we have the opportunity each and every day in our own lives and every week as the church to bring that comfort to our cities. And so would you, would you have that on your heart and mind as we go into this summer and the fall so that more and more people would, would experience the comfort of the good news of the kingdom of God? Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for the comfort of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you abandoned your comfort to come to this earth and to live the life that we could not live because of our sin and to go to the cross and die on our behalf. And Jesus, as you came back to life, conquering Satan and sin, you provided a way for us to access the kingdom of God, for us to be right with you and right with God the Father. And I pray, Lord, that for all of us who know you as Savior and Lord, God, that there there would be a burden on our hearts, Jesus, for those who don't have that comfort. And Jesus, that in the, the months and years to come, that there would be more and more people, Lord, that we would have to make difficult decisions about how we are going to structure ourselves so that we can, we can um, account for all the people you're bringing here, Lord. God, we, we plead with you that the people of the Tri-Cities would know you as Savior and Lord. And God, that you would help us to be sacrificial and giving to the point that, that we would give of our very selves and that people would recognize that that is the mark of a Christian. Not one who goes to war for truth, but one who lays down his life for truth. And so, Lord, would you help us? In Jesus' name, amen.